Today's episode is brought to you by our company, Sales Schema. Sales Schema helps agencies and B2B service companies build a reliable business development system through tasteful and targeted outreach. To learn more about us and check out our latest video training, go to saleschema.com slash take charge. I think in today's world, you need to find a way to stay top of mind. You need to stay relevant, especially in our space where there's just so many agencies out there. The way to do that is through directly by continuing to stay relevant, reaching out to them, providing them value through content. And then I'd say indirectly through your social play, through your content marketing play. I'm a big believer in verticalization. At Scorpion, we had ultimately four verticals, but they were on my team, on the marketing team, we had different resources for each vertical. We had a legal team on my team who only focused on marketing to attorneys and same thing for medical and for hospitals and franchise. The impact of that was so much greater than if we were to just go SMB focused. Welcome to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Englander. My new book, Relationship Sales at Scale, is now live on Amazon Kindle, on paperback, as well as hardcover. So to tell you about the book and give you a little context, in a world of noise, competition, and skepticism, you've probably found that spamming your prospects with undifferentiated pitches, case studies, and sales collateral is a lot like yelling at a brick wall. And on the other hand, trying to go old school and completely personalize every touchpoint 100% is unrealistic and unsustainable because the few people you manage to contact might not even notice or care. And when life gets busy, your sales activity and your team's activity tends to grind to a halt. Your pipeline runs dry and stagnation, feast and famine, all these bad things, they can all happen. So what if the answer is actually combining the new school with the old? And instead of going in cold... How much faster could you grow if you could identify and open doors with the prospects who live within your circles of influence and are already primed to trust and do business with you? So this book, Relationship Sales at Scale, is the new selling philosophy for our age. Bold statement, right? But it is because it marries the timeless power of tribe-based trust with digitally enabled scale so you can open doors tastefully and convert prospects consistently all without spamming anyone. So it's written by me, Dan Englander. I'm the CEO and founder of this company, Sales Schema. And the book's stories, strategies, and hands-on resources are grounded in thousands of outreach campaigns conducted for clients since 2014. That's among almost 90 clients to secure opportunities between our clients and hard-to-reach prospects, including the leaders of the largest companies on earth. A few things you're going to learn, you're going to learn how to balance personalization and scale to keep your pipeline full and achieve reliable and predictable growth. You're going to learn how to condense five years of networking into a single week-long campaign so you can batch up warm referrals into specific ideal accounts. You're going to learn how to de-risk conversations. That's the, the emphasis for this with highly skeptical prospects by leveraging strong personal commonalities instead of boring publicly available information like, hey, I saw you tweeted about this thing last week. That doesn't work. And you're going to be able to leverage dozens of actual copy examples, campaign strategies, and online resources so you can launch and close deals in a matter of weeks. So Relationship Sales to Scale will reshape the way you think about sales and business development, whether you are an owner, a dedicated salesperson, or in any growth-focused role. 
This book is a fit for the owners and salespeople in professional service companies and other B2B service and or software areas, assuming you're going after high lifetime value. So this is not for small, medium-sized businesses. So with that said, if you would like to learn more and pick up the book on Kindle or paperback or hardcover, and eventually we'll have it out in audio before too long, you can do that by going to saleschema.com slash rsas. Again, that's saleschema.com slash rsas. So today on the show, I'm really excited to welcome Corey Quinn. So Corey is the ex-CMO of Scorpion, which is an agency that leverages a lot of technology, websites, SEO, and more focusing on a few different niches, including personal injury, as well as home services. And he helped the agency go from 20 to 150 million in a number of years, I want to say like five or six. Today, he helps businesses at 2 million plus in the SaaS agency and B2B space identify, grow, and scale profitable niches and customer segments. We talked about what it was like graduating Santa Cruz, where I went to school first, developing a streaming media business right before the dot-com crash. Talked about the value of an MBA. We talked about stepping into a $20 million agency that had capped out on inbound. We talked about the three key lessons that Corey learned from building an agency from 20 to 150 million. We talked about what that actually felt like, and we talked about how you can identify your top three most profitable niches that you can focus on, even if your agency might be all over the place and might have a lot of different areas that you're dealing with. I think Corey has a really kind of like tangible, uh, specific way of, of looking at this stuff. So I think you're going to learn a lot in this interview. Without further ado, please give it up for Corey Quinn. Corey, thanks for coming on the show. What's up, Dan? Yeah, so we were just talking, so it's it's always nice to catch up with banana slugs. Um, That's right, a special group. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going anywhere very fast, but uh, <laughs> it, was, it was a fun place to go to school. Gorgeous, etc. Um, so anyway, to start out with, you know, you have were CMO of Scorpion, doing your own thing now. Can you talk a little bit about your background for those that don't know you? Sure, absolutely. Quick background. I was an entrepreneur after I left Santa Cruz, came back home to LA, started a, a business back in the dot-com, but ended up being the bubble back in the late 90s. But it was an amazing experience. It was a streaming media business that ended up shutting down. I went into financial services for a while, ultimately ended up at USC, got my MBA, went back into digital, became a salesperson, but quickly fell in love with marketing as B2B sales, enterprise level B2B sales at an agency, at a SEO and PPC agency. And then that led into a, a marketing role at that same company. And eventually I was recruited to go work at a company called Scorpion, where I was the chief marketing officer. And Scorpion is a digital marketing agency with a, a very strong investment in technology to help it scale. While I was there at Scorpion, I helped the company to grow from 20 million to 150 million in revenue over a six year period. So just tremendous amount of growth. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah. That, and de- definitely want to dig into lessons learned at Scorpion. I guess kind of like taking a step back, what was that journey like for you? So, you know, you get out of school, you have this kind of like topsy turvy experience in the dot com era. Like, when did you know you wanted to start your own business? And, yeah, what inspired that, I guess, at the beginning? Yeah. So at that time, I think I was a host at a restaurant and I realized that that was not something that was going to fulfill me for my career, it did not match my career path. It was sort of, you know, something you do after college. And what I really wanted to do is I wanted to start something big. This is the time back in the late 90s where a lot of technology companies were being funded at very early stages. 
And so my best friend and I, we, we developed an idea and we just kind of went with it, developed a business plan and we ended up getting fortunate enough to find investors who, who funded us. We raised uh, $6 million to start this business, literally from a business plan. And I was the CEO. My partner was the CTO. And we, as I mentioned, it was a, it was a streaming media business. We were doing live on location streaming media. So if you were having a wedding or you were having a sport event or a concert and you wanted it to be streamed, on the internet so that everyone in the world could watch it, then you'd hire my my company. The challenge, of course, is back in that back in those days, everyone would dial up to the internet with a 56K modem and the quality of video was not super great. So good idea, bad timing type of thing, but I loved it. I totally got the entrepreneurial bug and something I've not been able to shake ever since. I've recently, as I mentioned, left Scorpion and, and now I am stepping into business ownership again as a solopreneur. So that's, that's my, my new focus. Hopefully, you know, not too many more sidebars, but just things I'm, I'm curious about. <laughs> yeah, um, please. Get, so getting an MBA at, at USC, you know, there's a lot, lots of different opinions on an MBA. Like, how, how did you mm-hmm. feel about that experience? Like, how did it help you? What did it do right? You know, what's your your take on it after all these years? By the time I started my MBA, I had been, I graduated Santa Cruz, UC Santa Cruz with a degree in anthropology. And I had worked as a business owner, very young and somewhat naive business owner at that streaming media business. And I realized that I could help to build a more of a you know traditional foundation in business by going and getting my MBA and also do some networking and, and build some new relationships. So what I got out of it at the time was a lot of education was focused unfortunately, in the pre.com world, right? And it was more sort of the CPG type of world where you go from an MBA and go work for like a Mattel or one of these other sort of larger CPG companies. And so it was kind of the education I got was not super applicable to today's world or the world that was becoming at the time I was going to business school. That said, my favorite class was my entrepreneurial Finance. They call it finance, not finance, at uh, business school, <laughs> and and uh, it was my it was my favorite class because it was led by a entrepreneur who became a venture capitalist who became a teacher, and he was really able to help me understand sort of the world of of startup finance. So, all in all, it was a positive experience for me. I still have very good friends as a result of that experience today, and so I think. You know, the trade-off today, if I was talking to, let's say, my, my niece or my nephew or someone who is considering going to business school, I think it really depends on uh, what's calling you from a career perspective. MBA is a really great way for you to get credibility in the sort of the corporate world and for you to you know, help you to build your career more quickly. At the same time, I guess the the argument is if that's not really for you, if you don't want the corporate life, then maybe doing something else with that time and energy could be uh, better suited for you. Yeah, that makes sense. And one thing that you said that was interesting about the streaming service is like, you know, good idea, wrong timing. We see this all this all the time, rather, with the dot com bust where, you know, like pets.com, if you went back to what people were saying then, they're like, this is such a stupid idea. The valuations are ridiculous and, you know, so on and so forth. And now it's not not only a good idea, it's just such a basic idea. Like you have chewy.com, you have Amazon, you, you know, these, these things are just, E-Toys is another one. E-Toys, there was a web van, I think it was. It was like a shopping, like a, like a grocery store shopping company. Yeah, there's a lot of great ideas where it was conceptually it makes sense and we can connect the dots. But from a practical sort of demand perspective, I think a lot of these ideas were ahead of the, the curve a little bit. 
that's the thing that's so hard to figure out is like with, you know, with crypto or with blockchain or with AI or with any of these other things, like, is it a bad idea, period? Are we just too early? If we are too early, are we one or two years too early or are we 10, or ten years too early, right? That's, that's right. The question. That's right. The, the way that someone really smart mentioned or talked to me about crypto is it's kind of binary right now, at least Bitcoin is binary. Either it's going to be worth a lot of money or it's going to be worth nothing. And so it's probably worthwhile if you want to participate in the upside to get some exposure there, which I've done, but on a very limited basis. Likewise, yeah, <laughs> keep it pretty limited too. Um, no, I don't claim to have a crystal ball on it. So exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. So I, I guess kind of moving on to Scorpion, getting you know recruited as CMO there. So what what were things like in the early days of that company? I think you know, there's lots of agencies listening that are thinking about leveraging technology, scaling, you know, I don't know a lot about Scorpion. Can you talk a little bit about what they were doing, who they were working with in the early days when you started and so on? So I started in 2015 and it is and was a founder-led business that was born out of focusing on, well, they, I think they ended up focusing on as a result of their success on attorneys in hospitals of, of all things as the two primary focuses for the business. And so I'll speak to the attorneys for a little bit. So back in the day, 2015 was was about the time when attorneys were just getting warmed up to the idea of having a website. And so Scorpion was there selling websites. And then as the internet evolved, it moved into SEO, which Scorpion was very early on SEO, and then paid search and social and all the other things that have come to today. And what Scorpion did really well is that it built a, a very strong core expertise in the field of attorneys or, or, or law firm marketing and, and specifically in, in personal injury law. And this was about the time when people started using places like Google and elsewhere to find an attorney. So it's really a, a case of right product, right time, websites, SEO, those type of things. When I arrived, there was a small sales team. They were doing about 20 million. And the majority of the deal, vast majority of the deals were inbounds. And the, the brilliant thing that Scorpion did was they built websites, right? And so for every single web, every single client they had, they had a website. At the bottom of the website was a bug, which is the Scorpion, we call it the bug, and with a link back to Scorpion. What would happen is because these sites were SEO'd, they would rank really highly. And so other attorneys who were not Scorpion clients would go on Google and search for, you know, attorney in their area and they'd see a Scorpion website and they end up calling Scorpion. As a result of all that, which is great, it's brilliant, is that you have a tremendous amount of inbounds that the sales team could field, which is great. However, there's a sort of a natural limit to the volume of inbounds. And the reason why I was brought in was because the founder, CEO, really wanted to scale the business up. What I did when I started there was to really formalize inbound, but then additionally do uh, build a whole sales and marketing outbound effort. And I know that you and your business, Sales Schema, is very focused on outbound. That's why I was excited to speak with you today because I think we both have a passion for outbound. Thanks for that. And, and I think uh, bef- before we dig into that, there's a few things that are, that are really interesting there. I think one is just this this core like vertical focus with these, it sounds like little like small horizontal jumps. So it's not like they went from from like websites to programmatic advertising. They went from websites right. to SEO and then the next Correct. the next thing. So it sounds like they really kind of covered a base before moving on to the next one, which is cool. And then it's, it's also interesting because, you know, the idea that 
inbound can be limited, even if you're doing it at such a great massive scale and getting up to $20 million. And you have this brilliant method of bringing in so much organic by having, you know, the bug at the, the bottom of the site, like you said, why do you still hit a ceiling even after all that? Like you'd think that, you know, is it just because there's the, the, the clicks get more and more expensive? I guess they're not necessarily doing PPC, but it's just, there's enough competition. Like what makes that ceiling happen? I guess. The zone of indifference. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, this is a big part of what made Scorpion really special, I think, is that we attacked what I call the, sco- the zone of indifference. And so if you think about any addressable audience, let's say all the personal injury attorneys in the United States today, at any one time, 5%, 3.5%, 10%, you know, you know these numbers, are actively in the market looking. They're searching for a solution because they have an active pain point. But if you look at the, the entire uh, the entire market of, of personal injury attorneys and you lay it across sort of a dis- create a distribution curve, you have this sort of natural or normal distribution curve where on the far right hand side you have people who are looking for a new solution, which is maybe five or ten percent, and then the other end of the distribution curve you have people who will never leave their solution, people who love their partner, they're getting a ton of value, and they would just they would never leave, right? So what's left is in the middle of the distribution curve. Well, by the way, the People who love their solutions, probably about another 5 to 10%. So again, round numbers, you're looking at 80% of the market that is in the zone of indifference. This is the, the largest part of the distribution curve. And the zone of indifference is when you have a problem. Could be your website, could be your SEO, could be your iPhone. My wife has an iPhone X, which is fine. It works fine. But she knows she would take much better photos with the iPhone 13 or soon to be the iPhone 14. But it's just not something she's done anything about, right? She's in the zone of indifference because, yeah, it's important, but it's not that important, right? And so the beauty of outbound is in really what I call attacking the zone of indifference and helping to reach out, go outbound and reach out to these businesses and helping them to prioritize the need for a change. And that's what great outbounding does. Yeah, I love that. And I've never heard that phrase. You know, it's maybe I have somewhere, uh, but mm. it's, I've never heard it put like that. So that's, that's a really great way to think about it. You kind of landed on the ground at, at Scorpion. Had you done much outbound before? How did you kind of like, you know, get your feet in the water there? That's a great question. I was a, a enterprise level B2B seller, salesperson in a prior role before I stepped into a more of a marketing focus. And so I understood the value of outbounding. Actually, I got started in sales at Morgan Stanley, a financial institution where they give you some great outbounding, you know, uh, dial for dollar type of training, solution selling mostly. And so I, I understood outbounding very, very much from a firsthand experience. But then as it relates to bringing outbounding into Scorpion, what I believed is that for us to scale the way we want to, we can't just wait for the phone to ring. We have to build interesting, what I call USI driven outbound campaigns. And, and US, I could talk about it in a minute, but it stands for a uniquely striking impression. But the point is, is that you can't just wait for the market to come to you. You have, if, you, if you're aggressive about growing, you have to go into the market. And the way that we did it was very simply, we just identified who the attorneys were in the United States, as an example. And we started just reaching out to them and, and trying to figure out how to build a relationship and build a conversation with them. Yeah. And as a little sidebar on that market, my dad's a lawyer. Uh, I have friends that, that have been in the same, that have been in the PI, the personal injury space. What yeah. what surprised you after dealing with Morgan Stanley being an enterprise B2B sales? Like what, what was it like selling to personal injury lawyers? 
So what surprised me is how, so every buyer is different, but that, that buyer, that persona is very aggressive. These are very aggressive personalities. And so they want to win and they are sort of the very, very driven, aggressive folks. And so when I first showed up, I did not have a lot of experience selling to attorneys. And I think my, the, the copy that I was focused on in, as far as our positioning and messaging was not aggressive enough. And so I got feedback from the CEO, founder CEO. He's like, we need to be more aggressive here because these people, they want to win that type of mentality. And so I, I had to, it was sort of a good reminder that I can't assume the people I'm selling to are like me, right? It's more about understanding who they are and how they operate, what they care about, what they value, and making sure that you're marketing to them at that level. Right. That makes sense. And, and to back up a little bit, I mean, one thing, I think our market's a little bit different, but talking to lots of agency people, um, sometimes there be, there can be kind of an aversion to outbound or, you know, mm-hmm. or especially people that have done really well with, with inbound and that sort of thing. So what was that like in your space? Did you have to sell the idea of doing outbound within Scorpion or was everybody on board with it? Or like, what was it, what was it like then? The CEO was completely on board. The sales team was not completely on board because mm-hmm. this was something that was being asked of them that was different. And we all know, those of us who've been in sales, that it requires a mindset in order to be to be successful. And so we did have to bring in sales coaches, sales framework to help really build the muscle internally for people to do this. And you know, it wasn't perfect, but it it was, I would say definitely a challenge for us to institutionalize an outbound methodology. And we did a number of things to do that well. I want to circle back in a second to USI and kind of what that means. But I guess mm-hmm. first, as long as we're there, first with that, there's a million tactical things we could talk about for what salespeople can do to, you know, land appointments, close deals through outbound. Mm-hmm. But like what what were those mindset shifts like? Like what like how did you get those kind of like, you know, people used to inbound thinking differently. Like what was the mentality you had to kind of instill in them, if that makes sense? Sure. So one of the ways that we went outbound was through, and I'll speak generally, but it's through gift marketing at scale. An example of that is we would send cookies out to attorneys and we would send a lot of cookies. And these were not just random attorneys. The sellers were uh, given a list of 350 attorneys that that was their list to go after and close. Well, we would send cookies to 350 of every single one of those leads. What that did is that it created a different energy for reaching out. It was more of a reciprocity play. Like, Hey, we, you know, we sent you the cookies. Usually the gatekeeper would get them and there's the whole sort of dynamic there. And it worked really well for, for law firms, particularly ahead of COVID. And so all of a sudden they weren't cold calling a random attorney, but they were following up on a gift that they had given in an opportunity to build enough trust to have a conversation with them. So that was a big part of our strategy, even through to when I left at the end of last year, doing that's what USI is, by the way. It's, it stands for Uniquely Striking Impression. And I'll just sidebar real quickly. So Uniquely Striking Impression. There are 87,000 marketing services and software businesses in the US today. There's a lot of businesses who are trying to market to attorneys and they would tell us that all the time, right? The way that we found success, Scorpion, was to differentiate by holding ourselves to a standard called a USI or uniquely striking impression. So what you want to do is you want to be unique, you want to be striking and you want to leave impression. So sending an email, a good email can be a USI. Sending cookies could be a USI. 
We did a lot of video brochures. We would send, gosh, you name it, like iPads, flowers, you know, different types of cookies, like all, all these different ideas. And the purpose of that was to stand out a little bit. And that combination of sending out a gift ahead of a conversation to a very targeted list, being able to speak to them because we're specialists, really helped us to break through the noise. I love that. I think we've we've both kind of approached the same thing from different angles, and that's that's a, a good way to to brand it. You know, for us, it's been determining like circles of influence in areas where our clients basically have an unfair advantage. You know, where there's a mutual connection, or like mm-hmm. us, we went to Santa Cruz. If I send you an email that says I'm a banana slug, you're probably going to talk to me more yeah. more likely than not. So that's the same idea. I think kind of to dig into the meta of that a little bit. How did you go about planning that? Because what we found is that. You have a campaign, it runs, the campaign finishes, and then it's like you got to come up with another one and it's demanding. You know, mm-hmm. you can do the follow up thing that only works, but so well. How did you go about that with the team? Like, did you have, was that you coming up with these ideas? Like, what was the cadence like to come up with these campaign ideas? So, the success ultimately, we did a lot of different things, but ultimately, what we got to was we knew that this, the campaign would be successful if it was a uniquely striking impression, meaning it was something, something that was unique and different. And also something that the salesperson was bought into. We would we would do campaigns where the salesperson was like, I'm sorry, I'm not following up on that USI because that's just ridiculous. <laughs> right? Whatever that is, it could be a book that we sent them or some idea that we dreamed dreamt up in marketing that didn't land in sales. And so really success is co-creating with sales and then having a very clear follow-up strategy that is coordinated across sales and marketing. Yeah, The way that we did it was one USI per quarter. Every quarter, the, the prospect would get another gift. It could be an expensive gift, could be an inexpensive gift. Our focus was there's a limited market of personal injury attorneys in the United States. They all have websites. They're all eventually going to make a change, whether it's now or later. And we want to make sure that we're, at a minimum, we're in the decision set. We're one of the brands that are, they're going to talk to when they're ready to make a change. And so the way that we did that is through this outbound process of gift and then sales follow-up. Yeah. And I think you made a really good point that's that's underappreciated, which is like the co-creation with sales, or this could apply to anything, marketing mm-hmm. operations, the co-creation with the people that are going to be running it is so important because it's like, there's so many ways that anyone can subtly derail an effort if they're not emotionally bought in. Yes. You can say that you're going to like delegate it or they're going to, you can put incentives in place, but if they're not bought in, it's just not going to work. They're just not going to yeah. do it as well. And so I think that's, that's a really good point. I guess like, how did you square that though? Like if there's campaigns that you know to work really well, mm-hmm. but then you have a salesperson that's not bought into it. Did you just have to come up with something new for that person? Or like, how did you deal with that issue? In the sales organization, we had a fairly large sales organization because we were selling into SMBs. And so it was more of a volume type of deal. So we had, you know, 30, between 30 and 100 sellers over time. Within that group, there are natural influencers, the the big sellers, the thought leaders within the, the sales organization. And so our strategy was to win them over. And then their job was to inherently win everyone else over on the floor. Yeah, that's true if you have a larger sales team. If you have a smaller sales team, how I would approach that is enroll the sales team earlier in the process, but don't give them a lot of work to do. Just give them opportunities to react and then contribute. In other words, don't just go to them and say, hey, what should we send these people? Go to them and say, hey, we've got a list of 30 ideas or 15 ideas that we really like. Which ones would you support? Which ones did you get behind? 
if we sent this out and give them an opportunity to review that, to give you feedback and maybe, you know, come up with other ideas that you haven't provided. As a quick break, I wanted to let you know about our newest video training, how to take charge of your agency's future revenue. By the end of this training, you're going to learn how we get two to five qualified appointments every week using tasteful and highly targeted email outreach. That might not sound like a lot, but once you understand the outreach napkin math, you're going to learn how this can lead to massive scale for your agency or B2B service company. In addition to that, you're going to learn the six steps for successful outreach campaigns based on everything that we've learned from working with more than 100 agencies since 2014. You're going to get the complete agency outreach tech stack so you understand the right tools for getting the right results. And you're going to see agency to brand email examples and get inspiration from high converting campaigns. So to get this 30-minute training, all you need to do is go to saleschema.com slash take charge. Again, that's saleschema.com slash take charge. Yeah. And it sounds like the, you know, whether it's a bigger sales team like you had a Scorpion or it's like a small boutique, you know, agency, the main thing is that you're supporting those salespeople a lot. Like you're this is a division of duties. It's not you're a lone wolf and here's your portfolio or sales collateral, like good luck. Come back Correct. to us when we have one on the line. <laughs> Correct. And I think that is so important. It is a mindset where it is sales and marketing together creating these campaigns. It's not marketing, throwing it over the fence and then wondering why sales didn't follow up or you know, vice versa. Right. And so right. the result of that is that you get a lot more traction on these campaigns and and, and the results speak for themselves, frankly. I'll give you a stat. So at Scorpion, inbound was vast majority of the revenue. By the time I left, outbound was 50% of the revenue. So we effectively doubled the business just using outbound. Yeah. I think there's probably lots of people listening to this that sell website services. Maybe it's a different market. Maybe they sell mm-hmm. the big companies and they have like a six-figure website and they you know do the yeah. number of those a year. And they're getting on the phone with people that are like, yeah, that's great. You know, you do great work. You know, we'll let you know when we need a website. With that in mind, how how do you feel about nurture? Like if you're talking to a lawyer or whoever and they don't need a site right now, how are you moving that process yeah. along? I think in today's world, you need to find a way to stay top of mind. You need to stay relevant, especially in our space where there's just so many agencies out there. The way to do that is through directly by continuing to stay relevant reaching out to them, providing them value through content. And then I'd say indirectly through your social play, through your content marketing play. I'm a big believer in verticalization. At Scorpion, we had ultimately four verticals, but they were on my team, on the marketing team, we had different resources for each vertical. We had a legal team on my team who only focused on marketing to attorneys. And same thing for medical and for hospitals and franchise. The impact of that was so much greater than if we were to just go SMB focused. You know what I mean? So right. our content was specifically about the pain points that of the personal injury attorney versus just you know being a service business as an example. As a result of that, we we generated a ton of engagement with our copy and our content that was uh, impactful as well. Yeah, and the verticalization thing, I, I agree. You know, we we do the same thing. Nice. Um, to, to sort of have a counterpoint. Do you think there's such thing as a bad vertical? Because right now there's probably a lot of agencies that have like a grab bag of different verticals that they could work with. And, you know, we've talked about this topic a lot. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Like, mm-hmm. is there is there a way that you pick the wrong vertical? 
And if so, how does that, what does that look like? I think every business is like a snowflake. Every business is, is, <laughs> is different and unique and has its own strengths. And that's true for agencies. And so if you are an agency that you have a variety of clients, it's important to take it upon yourself to really understand who is your best fit customer. Meaning not only are they staying with you, are they a good fit for your product? Are they getting results? But then who, who do you like working with from a qualitative perspective? Who's the right customer profile? If you do the sort of the quantitative, meaning the dollars, and then the qualitative aspect of that analysis against your book of business, what you'll find is you'll begin to uncover a client type who is really well suited for your business and your personality and your strengths and the, and the, and the value that you provide. And the result of that, once you, once you have that insight, that gives you a direction to go and focus your marketing and sales efforts going forward. Whether or not that's a large enough market, obviously you have to do that analysis to look at the total addressable market and see how many of those businesses are out there and figure out that aligns with your overall business strategy. But that's how I would approach it. I want to dig into that more. And that probably ties into a lot of the work you're, you're doing now um, yeah. with your CMO work. But to finish up with Scorpion, I don't want to shortchange the audience. Can you talk about those lessons? So you guys went from 20 to 150 million. Yeah. Maybe we covered some of that ground with Outbound, mm-hmm. but I'd love to hear what those those three lessons are. Yeah. So the first one is the zone of indifference. This is particularly important for businesses that want to scale, that want to grow. And Again, what I joined, the founder brought me in because he wanted to scale. Not every agency wants to be you know, a $150 million company, and that's fine. But if you do, then outbound needs to be a part of your play. And that was big for Scorpion. The other one is this USI, uniquely striking impression, not being lost in the sea of noise, but being unique and uh, leaving an impression. And that was, again, a standard that we held ourselves to that helped us to build more visibility in the market. And the last one is the verticalization. And the way I think about that is we built Scorpion in some respects, we built Scorpion based on these verticals within the legal vertical because we were specialists. It wasn't just our marketing and sales, it was our product. And our product solved problems that were unique to personal injury attorneys and criminal defense attorneys and family law attorneys. And the fact that specialization was built all the way through the business that allowed us to ultimately provide a lot more value to these attorneys than they were paying for. And that results in great retention. And ultimately, word of mouth. So if we're the go-to provider in the space, we're providing a ton of value and charging a fraction of that value, and we've got results to prove it, then that is the sort of the, the sweet spot as a, as a brand or an agency. I have a couple of questions related to that. I guess the first is how much temptation was there to go outside of the attorney space? Were you constantly having to bat that off? Because my guess is like, you know, you're doing this this sort of marketing, building these sort of websites. You could do it for almost anyone. Yep. Um, how much did the verticalization affect the product itself versus just kind of like how you market and sell it, the packaging? So yeah. So we did go outside attorneys, but we did it in a very measured way. And it was not, you know, not a perfect science, but we figured it out along the way, which is our next vertical, major vertical was, was home services. These are home services businesses, which like attorneys are service-based businesses. They're locally focused. Attorneys only work in the local area, as does the plumber. But to get there, we made a lot of mistakes. We, we did business with a lot of different types of service-based businesses. <laughs> the joke we would have at Scorpion is the, is the, uh, the balloon animal, you know, the animal, animal balloon maker, right? Which we would get every once in a while and some salesperson would sell it. And and the problem is, is that 
it would always sort of gum up the operational aspect of of providing value to the client ultimately, and they would churn. And so we kind of over time realized that we really have to be strict in our discipline in saying no to businesses that didn't fall within our strict verticals. So home services made a lot of sense because the fact that they're service-based businesses, but also people use the internet to search for plumbers, especially in an emergency, just like they search for a personal injury attorney in an emergency, right? So there's a lot of overlaps. The product ended up being different, relatively similar, but also different. So we had to evolve that over time. That that just was through a process of trial and error and, and learning. But we didn't go into things like car dealerships and other things that were very foreign to our sort of core competence of serving attorneys. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, the agency was at 20 million or so, maybe a bit less before the vertical hop was even on the table. Yeah, that's right. Um, It was verticalization was not a strategic narrative on the table. Yeah. So you went over, you know, kind of those three big takeaways, zone of indifference, uniquely striking impression, verticalization. What did it feel like going from 20 to 150 million? Like what was the day-to-day like? You know, you have Jim Collins, you know, describing a flywheel like effect. Like, does that app or like what 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 was the emotionally like what did it feel like on the ground? Scorpion is an exciting place to to work, regardless of this massive growth. We celebrate big wins. It was a it was a very sort of fun period of my professional career. Just a tremendous amount of work, a tremendous amount of focus, and a lot of celebration. So it was, I would say, some level of a lot of heavy, heavy lifting and a lot of work, a lot of building. I I grew the team. I was hired as a team of one when I left of a team of 30, right? So we had a lot of infrastructure building and I was lucky enough to bring in a lot of great marketers who helped create a lot of the success. So I would say it was just just going back to the, the the feeling tone, it was really just just a real awesome, exciting, fun time. And I also felt very grateful that I could be a part of you know the company and to be able to help them in that way. Yeah, that's that's great. And going back to um kind of kind of leaving the company, what if you don't mind me asking, like what what inspired that and what yeah, what absolutely the, what does your business look like now? So I'd been there for a massive run up and I learned a lot. I had been thinking about moving into sort of more of a solopreneur type of role and starting something for myself. Again, I guess, hearkening back to the days post-college. And I was excited about that. And I felt like I had contributed a lot at Scorpion, but at the same time, there was other things I wanted to do. The company had just raised a bunch of money and was on a trajectory to do a bunch of you know new things and and uh, I thought it was a good time for me to to separate. We left on extremely positive terms and I'm uh, very fond of everyone there and I'm still involved at a certain level. So it's it's a great company. Yeah, and can you talk about your your solopreneur work now and just kind of like yeah. the clients you're working with, you know, what what's your day-to-day work is like with them? Sure. So my focus now is helping B2B subscription businesses and I think of an agency as a, ultimately a subscription business and I'm helping them mostly working with founders and uh, marketers to help them to increase revenue, lower cost of acquisition, reduce sort of overwhelm and, and improve quality of sort of life ultimately, yeah. uh, applying a lot of these learnings I've I generated at Scorpion. So what I have found is that these businesses and the earlier stages say yes to revenue. Revenue is the primary uh, sort of initiative and they end up getting the business to a certain size and and eventually it becomes clear that by focusing sort of narrowing the focus of the business to a specific vertical or maybe a suite of verticals instead of any any business 
is really the next frontier for the business to get to the next level. And that's really where I come in and I help them to identify you know, of the current set of businesses that they're working with, who's the best fit. And then once we identify the best fit, we'll build a go-to-market strategy around that specific vertical. To dig into that a little bit, I think you were talking about, yeah, finding the best fit customer based on, you know, the quantitative and the qualitative. Can you dig into that? Like, what are some of the questions that you like to ask to find that out? In particular, one that is big in my head is is TAM. You know, I think Mm -hmm. we don't have a huge TAM. (laughs) A lot of our clients might not, especially if they're selling into bigger organizations that fit XYZ parameter. So what's, what's your take on total addressable market? My take is that it has to be a, a an early part of the planning process for the business. Like you have to figure out where do you want to take this business? Is it, you know, I think you've talked about a lot about this, which is do you want to you know, grow and stay independent and become a business that other businesses want to buy, but you don't want to sell? Or do you want to sell the business? Or, you know, do you want to cash flow? Like what is what is your ultimate outcome that you want to create? Number one. And then from there, you have to look at what is the TAM? Like, who is our addressable market? How big is it? And how much revenue is there? And how much can we go get of it? So, as an example, there are a hundred thousand attorneys in the U.S., and we know that we can make thirty thousand dollars per attorney. And if we're good, and we can we can be effective at our sales and marketing, maybe over the next three to five years, we can go to get three to five percent of that that market, which would turn into X amount of revenue for the business. Does that match? And so, I'm a big fan of leveraging TAM. As a part of the go to so the earlier stages of go to market to understand whether or not a vertical is even worth pursuing. Yeah. And how do you kind of Venn diagram that with where, you know, an agency or another business has been successful in the past? You know, if they mm-hmm. have like a lot of accolades built up and maybe there's not an easy way, but I yeah, no, I think, I think every case is different. I'll give you an example of uh, one of my clients. When I was hired to work with this founder, he's doing about $3 million in revenue. He's an amazing product, amazing results, very happy clients, but he's been struggling to grow. And my opinion, he should be a $30 million company right now. He's just he's just been struggling. And so what we uncovered is that he's in 29 different verticals. His, his clients cross sports, apparel, hospitality, restaurants, so on and so forth. While all of them are paying him revenue... <laughs> Once we went through this process of looking at how much revenue, what's the average retention rate? What is the uh, the number of days to, to sell, to close one of these deals? How many deals are in the pipeline? Sort of all the quantitative uh, metrics. And then also sort of the qualitative piece. Who do we align most with? Who do we like working with, right? As a result of doing that process, it becomes really clear in my process, I call it the focus finder process. You come up with three different verticals that are potential winners for your business. The reason why there are potential is that you have to map it against the TAM. You have to see whether or not there's a, there's a large enough market to go after it. So I think all of these elements, you kind of put them together. And I think you have a lot of clarity on what direction you want to go. Yeah. And that sounds really like a really useful exercise that, you know, you can do on a mor- in a morning with a cup of coffee and like learn yeah. all sorts of things about your business that you might not have thought of before. So with that, Corey, kind of getting towards the end of the time, I know you, that you are working on a daily newsletter, which is, which is right. awesome and crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, can you talk about is, that a little bit? It is crazy. I've signed myself up for it and so far so good. I've been getting great feedback from it. So what this newsletter is, it's a daily tip to one minute read for you. And it's built specifically for B2B subscription executives, owners, founders, and would love for you to join. If, if you're listening to this and some of the ideas that I've shared are resonating with you, if you'd like to hear more from me, 
would love it if you join my my newsletter. It's at coreyquinn.com slash newsletter. And so you could also find me on LinkedIn as well. We'd love to hear from you. Awesome, Corey. We'll get that all linked up. And there's, I saw a lot of other interesting stuff on your site too, like a free course and all sorts of other things yeah. that you may, may or may not want to promote. So Sure. No, I appreciate that. So the, the focus finder process where it is the qualitative and the quantitative, I have actually recorded the process and it is a free productized service, if you will, where anyone can go to my website right now. You can actually go through the focus finder process. There's a spreadsheet. There's a, a series of videos that walks you through everything that I just discussed where you can get a really good sense of if you are deciding or realizing that you want to focus your agency down to a specific vertical, that's a great process for you to do. It does not take very long, but I think you'll get a lot of great insights. So you can go to my website, you can click on free course and you'll see it right there. Awesome. Yeah. And so, so much of this is is just table selection. So I think that that deserves a lot of thinking. So yeah. we'll make sure to get that linked up and I think it'll will be useful. Uh, Corey, thank you so much for joining. This is a lot of fun. Absolutely, Dan. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for listening to this episode. Again, today's episode is sponsored by our company, Sales Schema. Sales Schema helps agencies and B2B service companies build a reliable business development system through tasteful and targeted outreach. To learn more about us and check out our latest video training, again, you can go to saleschema.com slash take charge. Again, that's saleschema.com slash take charge.